Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Welcome. So good to have you with us. We are closing up our Promise series. I hope you've enjoyed it the way I have. And today we're talking about one of the ultimate promises. It's the promise of heaven. Have you heard of it? I heard it about it a lot. As a kid growing up, my home church, I grew up in a pretty traditional Pentecostal church growing up. We sang about heaven, right? When we all get to heaven. Anybody know that song? What a day of rejoicing that will be, right? My kids have probably never heard that song. But we had songs. We talked about heaven all the time. Our pastor talked about heaven all the time. My mom, the more kids she got, the more she talked about heaven all the time. It was just, it was, heaven was this wonderful place that you, that you just, you couldn't wait to be there. And I love how Rick Warren talks about, Pastor Rick Warren, he describes heaven in this way. He says, our time on earth is essentially preparation for eternity. We're getting ready now for eternity. This is not all there is, Amen. We were made, Pastor Rick says, uh, we were made to last forever, and this life, it's like a warm-up act. It's a dress rehearsal for the real show in eternity. And as it relates to the importance of our belief for the afterlife, he goes on to say this. He goes on to say, if this life is all there is, there is no basis for any meaning, any hope, purpose, or significance to life. Everything in your life would simply be a random change of fate at best or an accident at worst. Your life and your death would not matter at all. The logical end of such a life is despair. Moreover, we can forget about being decent or ethical with no basis for human dignity, rights, or liberty. It is so important what we believe about the afterlife that there is an afterlife. And even as it relates to the afterlife, there may be a lot of people who may not believe in God, but uh, a recent Pew Research poll reports that 72% of Americans believe in a literal heaven. Maybe some of you are surprised by that, maybe some of you are not, but 72% of Americans believe in a literal heaven. Surprisingly, even in that same report, uh, even uh, 5% of atheists said that they believe in a heaven. After all, who would not want to spend eternity in what many refer to as the good place? But even though the vast majority of us may believe in a literal heaven, uh, what we believe about it varies, doesn't it? Have you ever had a conversation about heaven or the afterlife with anybody? You want to have a fun conversation with somebody? Start talking about the afterlife. I had lots of conversations while I was in Canada about the afterlife. And I got a lot of good research for this sermon today, actually. But uh, just, just, just walking it through, what we believe about it is very important. Unfortunately, we're often very confused about it. There are so many opinions. There are so many. I had one person say, you know, Dwayne, do you really believe in the pearly gates? Do you really believe that there are, there are, there, there are these chubby little cherubs with arrows and, and that when you get up, it's just they're going to kind of bring you on in? And he was being serious. He wasn't joking around. He's like, it seems like a fairy tale. I said, well, you, you, obviously you are watching Looney Tunes. You know, I, saw, I saw that in Looney Tunes when I was five, you know. Uh, Looney Tunes is not our source, is it? <laughs> The Word of God is our source in our Bible. So can we just pray as we dive into this today, as we wrap up this series, as we look at the importance of heaven, of the afterlife? Lord, we need you. Because, Lord, uh, we're often, we can be confused. We can be just confronted with so many different opinions, so many uh, different outlooks. But, Lord, you've given us your word, the living, breathing word of God. 
that lights a path before us. So Lord, show us today. Let your word come forth today. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My God, my rock, my redeemer, my high place. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. So here's our scripture today. John 14, you can read it in your church app or in your paper Bible or whatever you have. But here's John 14. You can even follow along. Here's the words of Jesus. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to say that again to all of you. This is the word of the Lord to you today. Don't let your hearts be troubled. How many of you are like, that's enough for me today. I just need that and I receive that. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus said, trust in God, but trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And of course, Thomas spoke up and said, no, we don't, Lord. We don't don't know where you're going. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus told him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So very quickly this morning as we look at this, we're going to look at three things. First of all, we're going to look at how our souls are eternal. We have a soul and our souls are eternal. And then secondly, we're going to look at how there are two destinations in that. And then thirdly, how do we get to the destination that I pray all of you will end up at? And of course, that's heaven. So let's start off. First of all, our souls are eternal. See, a belief in the afterlife It begins with that belief that this life is not all that we have, right? God created us as living souls. Genesis 2, 7, it says that God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then it says, man became a living soul. See, our souls souls are contained in a body. We have this body, right? And my body just turned 50 years old last week. Some are like, woohoo, and some are like, that's old. How many remember when like 30 was old, right? You're like, 30's an old guy, right? So I don't believe that anymore. Right, so our souls, they're contained in a body, but our body is finite, meaning your body's not going to last forever, okay? Just talk to people who've gone before you. Already there's, there's breakdown going on, but God made us as a soul to live forever. The Bible even talks about how one day, we will have a new body. I'm hoping that new body is a 1980s long hair Dwayne body, but, you know, I'll trust God with that. Second Corinthians 5, it says, We know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. And verse 2 says, We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Now, just because there's a tent that's going to be falling away, it's going to be gone away, and our bodies are going to die one day, that doesn't mean we don't take care of it. We need to be good stewards. We need to eat healthy, right? We need to take care of everything that we have. We need to be good citizens here on earth. But our primary focus is that of which is, is eternal. We focus on the things that are eternal, which is our souls. That's why Paul said to Timothy, he said, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So in other words, eat, you know, eat healthy, exercise, be the good steward of everything God's given you. 
but your flesh should never rule you. How many of you have been a victim of your, your, of your flesh being in charge at times, right? That often happens to me as I'm sitting down to watch a movie late at night. The flesh just cries out for certain things that a 50-year-old should not be eating anymore. You know, that happened last night, and I've asked God forgiveness, and hopefully I can turn from my, my wicked ways. So help me out, everybody. But when the flesh is in charge, we suffer because the flesh is only out for itself. The flesh just wants to feed the flesh. It doesn't care about anything else in its life. It just wants to please the flesh. If you don't believe that, try teaching elementary school, okay? The flesh cries out for itself, whatever it wants, and the flesh is a poor master. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And then Jesus says these famous words. He says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? What do you, what do you gain if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? And Jesus says, anything worth more than your soul. And see, what I love about this is that when we invest in our souls, we are investing in something that will last forever. So take care of your body, but it's not going to last forever. Take care of your hair but it's not going to last forever. Some of you are better than most, but it's not going to last forever. What I love about our soul, though, is that our soul, spiritually, we were made with the capacity through Jesus and through the work, the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in our life to get stronger and stronger and stronger each day. Bit by bit, row by row, we will get stronger spiritually as we surrender our lives to Jesus and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that work inside us. It will get better. My body has an expiration date. And even now, my body doesn't respond the way that it did back in my 20s. But through Jesus and that work, our souls get stronger and stronger. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are renewed every day. How many of you have ever gotten around somebody that they've been serving the Lord their whole life, and now they're in their 70s and their 80s, and though they may come in with a walker, you talk to them, and you're just filled with this energy. You're just filled with this joy. You're filled with the power of God in your life because their spirit goes on and on and on and on. You know, one of the things that's, that my family has been going through is my, my mom is now 91, and dementia is gaining a foothold in her life. And I know that many of you, you've walked through this, and I've had other family members, but I remember this video of my, my grandfather back when I was in college where uh, Alzheimer's came in and just really ravaged his body to where he didn't know anybody except my dad. My dad was the oldest of several kids, a lot of kids, I want to say 12 or 14 kids, something like that, all to the glory of God. And my dad was the oldest. And my grandfather, he always knew my dad, and he knew his, he knew his phone number. That was back when it just, you didn't just click on dad on your phone, but you had a rotary, you know, you had to roll it in, you had to wait, and you hate it when it was zero because it had to go all the way back, and it took forever, you know. He always knew dad, but he didn't know anybody else. So towards the end of his life, they all got together, and they had this outdoor picnic, and they took a video, and all the families there, very mixed beliefs spiritually, very different walks of faith. And many of them, both his children as well as, as grandchildren, uh, weren't serving the Lord at the time. And he didn't even know their name. He was just there smiling and happy. And so they, they said, Pop, would you pray today? Would you pray today? He said, sure. And in that moment, it was like just a switch went off. Because he transitioned from a physical pop to now a spirit. 
And as he began to pray, he began to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. The name above all names, would you, would you heal Ricky today, God? Would you be with Mary? Would you be with Irene? Would you be? And he began calling out all of his kids around that table by name that they'd been with all week and he didn't even know who they were. And on the video, you can see it as their heads just lifted up and they began to look in awe and disbelief. And began to call them all out, what they were going through, the things they were concerned about, everything that was going on. And the family just sat there just dumbfounded. And then he said, amen, and he went right back. And I've often reflected on that, on how the body may fail, but the spirit lasts forever. The spirit lasts forever. His prayer life, I remember growing up around him, and, he would, and he, we would come out. Anytime that, I, that he came and stayed, stayed with us, every night he, you know, he, had, a, he, had, he had those like old-fashioned pajamas that was just like a big long shirt that went down to his knees, you know, that you hope the wind didn't catch, and it just kind of went down. And he would kneel down on his bed every night, every night, him and his wife, and they would just pray. When his knees hurt, he would get down on his knees and he'd pray and he would call it by name. See, he'd invested in the spirit and the spirit never dies. The spirit never dies. Our souls are eternal. Every one of us has a soul that God put in us to, make, to live forever. And though we may focus a lot on heaven, it's important to recognize that our souls actually have two destination options. And this is the uncomfortable part. This is when, when people talk to me about the afterlife. This is when it gets uncomfortable. Because just like I have some, I have some friends and family that use Looney Tunes for the theology of heaven, they also use Looney Tunes for the theology of hell, which is not accurate either. But our souls, they do have two destination options. You know, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells of a time uh, when people will be separated into two groups, one entering into his presence and the other banished to what Jesus says is eternal fire. But before we talk about hell, I want to keep us focused on heaven for a little bit. Can we talk about heaven first and talk about what that's going to be like? Because that's, that's where I, we want everyone to be, isn't it? So what is heaven like? When you look at the Bible, heaven is often described as being unimaginable. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. When Jesus talked about heaven, he talked about heaven as being our home. This is our home. It is a place for those who have followed Christ, where he says, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, heaven is a home, and when we think about a home, we think about a home as being a place where we're safe, a place where we're welcome, a place where we are loved, a place where we are fed, a place where we, we, we get together with those that we care about. This is what, how Jesus described it. Heaven in the Bible is often described by what it doesn't have. We know as we look at the book of Revelation that in heaven there will be no more tears. Hockey tears maybe, I don't know. be no more tears, no more pain, and no more sorrow. Revelation 20, no more separation because death will be conquered. Are you looking forward to that day? No more separation because death is conquered. And the best thing about heaven is the, is the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because we will be face to face with the Lamb of God who loved us and sacrificed and gave everything for us so that now we can enjoy, fully enjoy his presence in heaven. In Luke 24, it reveals to us that we will recognize each other. You're looking forward to that? Again, look for 1980s Dwayne. We'll see what happens. We will see clearly. First Corinthians says, we see dimly now, but then we will see clearly. 
And it also says, and this is something I think that we often don't think about. Sometimes we think about heaven as being like just, just kind of a retirement plan that, yeah, we're all done and we just kind of sit on clouds, right? We go back to our Looney Tunes theology. But when we look at scripture, we see that in heaven, we will actually serve God. There's a serving component. There's, there's a plan. God's plan for us does not end at death. Did you know that before? That God still has a plan for us? Revelation 22, verse 3, it says that his servants, God's servants, that's all of us who follow him, that we will serve him. See, God's plan for us, it continues beyond this life. But the difference in serving is that now there's no more pressure, there's no more stress, there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow. You know, one of my favorite authors is Dallas Willard. And here's how he describes heaven as it relates to this. Dallas Willard writes, he says, your eternal destiny is not cosmic retirement. It is to be a part of a tremendously creative project under unimaginably splendid leadership on an inconceivably vast scale with ever-increasing cycles of fruitfulness and enjoyment. That is the prophetic vision which no eye has seen or no ear has heard. God's, God's creativity doesn't stop. It continues to go and to go and to go and to grow. Are you excited about that? When I found that, I was very excited. Because someone said to me once, as I think I was a young elementary kid in church, and I had a seasoned saint come to me and say, you know, little Dwayne, isn't that, I mean, one day we'll go to heaven, and heaven will just be like just an unending church service. And I was like, no! <laughs> Confession time, I hated church as a kid. Right? I went because my mom and dad brought me, and we had Sunday night church. I had to go twice on Sunday. Do you know how good I got at fake and sick on Sunday night? I had babysitters lined up going, can you please watch me? I don't want to go to church. It's longer Sunday night. That was unimaginable to me. Now, I think, you know, no knock to them. I was just a little stupid kid. But if you love church, and I, I, I love gathering together. I love when the body of Christ comes together. I love Sunday mornings. I love worship times. I love prayer times we come together. But I have news for you, for some of you. There is going to be so much more than what we could even imagine here. So much more. When we worship God in heaven, all barriers will be removed. We will know God in a way that we could never know him in this broken world where we're distracted and we're, and we're getting social media hits and, and updates and notifications all along the way and we're thinking about what we're going to eat after. When we're in heaven and we see God face to face, it is going to be unimaginable. Look what it says in Revelation 5. It says, Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb of God. It is going to be unimaginable. Can you imagine hearing all, all those who've gone before us, all the saints going before us, worshiping together in unity, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is unimaginable to me. And then my mind starts going to all the great artists and the musicians and, that have gone before and that they are there. It's unimaginable to me 
the level of creativity, the unhindered worship. Who wouldn't want to be there? Who wouldn't want to be there? But while Jesus did talk about heaven, he also talked about the other option, which was hell. And as a matter of fact, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but hell is not something I just go around and start talking about. But Jesus did because he spoke about it as a warning. See, his desire is that no one would go there. Jesus doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Listen to how Jesus describes hell. Jesus describes hell as a place of eternal torment, of unquenchable fire, a place where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, and from which there is no return even to warn loved ones. And if you need the scripture references, they'll all be in, in your church center app, as well as up on the screen in front of you. Jesus also called a place called hell, a place of outer darkness in Matthew 25, 30, comparing it to Ghana, which was a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and where maggots abounded. See, hell was not created for humans. Hell was not created for children of God. God created hell as a place of judgment for Satan and for those who followed him. That, that's what hell was meant for. It was never meant for humanity. Jesus references in Matthew 25, 41, when he said, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never meant for us. See, it's not God's will that any should perish, that none should end up in hell. But there are two key aspects about the nature of God that are important for us to keep in mind as it relates to this. As it relates to this and as it relates to what so many struggle with. I have these conversations with, with so many who struggle with this aspect. And oftentimes, this is the aspect that says, I can't believe in a God that would send people to hell. Well, first of all, we need to recognize that God is love. When you look through the Bible, God is love. I'm not talking about a mushy-gushy, emotional love where you fall in and out of love all the time. I'm talking about a sacrificial love where God sent his only son to die for us to wipe away all of our sin as an answer, as a means to rescue us from our rebellion. Every one of us, we're all born sinners. Every one of us. Beautiful babies and all. We're all sinners in need of God. But as it relates to this love, love is not coerced and love is not forced. Love is a choice that we make. How many of you have experienced love where love is a daily choice? You've walked with somebody like, every day I choose to love. Okay? Every day, Stephanie chooses to love me. Some days are an easier choice than others. But is her love any less or more for me? She chooses. She's made sacrifices for me. She's given up things for me because she loves me. And I do the same for her. See, love is a choice. God chose to love us, the Bible says, that even when we were in the midst of our sin, even when we reject it, the, you know, try to imagine the worst thing that you've done or the worst thing that your enemies have done or somebody that's working hard against you. Jesus died for that. 
And God gives us the option to love him in return. This is a choice that we make. Otherwise, we would just be robots, mindless robots. And that's not how he made us. We're made in the image of God, every one of us, every color, every nation, every tribe, from the back to Adam and Eve on forward, every human, we're made in his image. And we have all been given the choice to receive or reject God. And that's important for us to remember and to think about. Love is a choice. But God is love, but he's also just. God is a just God. And we've heard, we've heard a lot about justice during COVID, haven't we? With everything that's been going on, justice has been a big topic. It's something that we've all read about. It's something here at Shoreline Community Church that we've talked about. It's something we've, in our small groups, we've talked about in our homes, in our families, as a nation, as a world. Justice has been a big thing. But it's important for us to remember that for justice to exist, it must be equally applied. See, oftentimes when we think about justice, we think about justice for the other person, don't we? When I say I want justice, I'm not talking about me receiving a penalty for something I've done, right? That's what I'm like, I want grace in my life. I want the love of God in my life. But oftentimes when we say we want justice, we're talking about that person over there or that person or that boss or that coworker or that person halfway around the world that we saw a news clip about that we don't even know the whole story about. That's how often we, how we often will, will refer to justice, See, unfortunately, we tend to think about, about justice as, as a weapon against our enemies, something that's only applied to others. But when Jesus talked about justice, do you know who he often referred to as it being applied to first? Ourselves. When Jesus talked about justice to his disciples, when he talked about it, this is what he said. In Matthew 7, he said, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your own friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to a friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. See, justice is first applied to me. How can I see you if my eyes are so filled with my own sin, with my own stuff, junk, hurts, habits, and hang-ups that I need to deal with? See, there's a consequence to our actions because God is just. Whether we're aware of him or not. And our acceptance or rejection of God, mine, <laughs> will one day be judged. See, unfortunately, some think that just because there doesn't seem to be a consequence, that, well, maybe nobody saw that, or maybe no one knows what's going on. But unfortunately, we mistake freedom for grace. See, right now, we're living in, in a huge time of grace. We're in a grace period, because God is gracious, he's loving, he's gracious, and he gives us time and the opportunity to confess and to believe in him. I love what it says in 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. You hear that? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. God's will is that no one would perish. So what seems a slowness, he's just gracious. He's giving you time. I mean, how many times did I come home from school and my mom sit me down and say, Dwayne, is there anything you want to tell me about? <laughs> is there anything you need to say? And this was before smartphones and, and ring cameras everywhere. I mean, she just knew, you know. The Lord's being gracious because he doesn't want anyone to perish. So as we wrap this up today, so how do we get there? We all want to go to heaven, right? We want our friends to go to heaven. I want my family to go to heaven. I want my extended family to go to heaven. I want Shoreline to go to heaven. I want Seattle to go to heaven. I want everyone to go to heaven. So how do we get there? And this is where we need to especially pay attention. Because there's an adversary that is out to trick us. See, right now in America... 60% of Americans believe that everyone goes there. That no matter what, no matter who you are, everyone goes to heaven. This belief states that heaven is a place where all people will ultimately be reunited with their loved ones, that everyone goes there. But our souls have two destination options. There's a life with God where we receive him, heaven. And there's a life without God where we've never received, we've rejected See, with God, this is for those who have surrendered their life to Christ. And the surrender piece is a big, big piece. And this is where, in my conversations with people, people that I love dearly, this is where it often gets off track. I have people I love very close that when I talk about this, they say, well, I, I worship God my own way. I find God my own way. Have you ever heard that? I find God in my own way, and it's like, There's just one way. There is only one way. When we surrender to Christ, this is a total surrender. There's no partial surrender. See, a partially surrendered enemy is still a dangerous enemy, right? We don't partially do things. It's wholeheartedly because if it's still there, it can still resurrect and hurt us. A partially surrendered enemy is still a threat. This isn't an enemy that only gave signs of surrender because they felt like they had to or they felt like they'd lost or maybe out of fear they did it, but there was no connection to God. So they're just kind of going along with the motions, but they're still kind of doing it their own way. But I know that's there, but I still want to live my own life. A partially surrendered flesh will always look for an opportunity to rise up and take over. And it breaks my heart because it's a trick of the enemy. But Jesus was very clear. Jesus said to them, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus said you can only enter God's kingdom. It's a narrow gate. He said the highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. And Jesus, later in the same chapter, Matthew 7, he reinforced it by saying one of the one of the things that I think shakes me to the core. Jesus said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Jesus said, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we cast out demons in your name, and we perform many miracles in your name. 
That's good stuff, isn't it? But Jesus said, I'll reply, I never knew you. I never knew you. You were never surrendered to me. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is like a wise person who builds a house on the rock that even when the rains came and the torrents and the floodwaters, when they rose and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on the rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on the sand. When the rains and the floods came and the winds beat against it, it'll collapse like a mighty crash. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, it's not a workspace gospel. I have friends, I have family that say, well, you know what? I'm just trying to do more good than I do bad things. I'm just trying to kind of work my way. It's a ladder theory, right? Where if I do more good things, I'll get to heaven. Or I've seen people who are very religious and go, well, as long as I'm doing the right things and I read my Bible every day, is that, is that going to get me to heaven if I do that every day? Now, should you read your Bible every day? Yes. But just reading your Bible every day is not going to re- result in your soul being changed and transformed. If there's no surrender, if that word is not coming alive in you and saying, Jesus, my life is yours. I give it to you. I can't do this on my own. I don't want to go my own way. This is the work that God has for us. And knowing this, knowing this should make us more passionate than ever and more committed to doing what Jesus said, to love your neighbor and to let your life shine before others and to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. When we recognize this, when we recognize what's at stake, I mean, when Jesus even said that, woe to them that would cause one of these little ones to stumble. I mean, shouldn't we be living our life in a way that's like, you know, God, I know that I make mistakes, but when I do, I'm going to ask forgiveness. And if I've offended somebody, I'm going to ask them to say, boy, please forgive me, but I don't want to do anything that's going to be a stumbling block to anybody because there's too much at stake. I don't want to mess around and complain and get fed up with things and, and complain about things that are meaningless in the light of eternity. I want people to see Jesus. That's why we behave the way that we behaved as we've, as we've gone through this, this whole COVID situation. We're like, what communicates love and care for our community? What are the things that we can do in this season when everyone's at home that we can find ways to love and to care for them? Because I want our community to know that we care. Now, it doesn't mean that the, you know, that the, that the ends justify the means. I'm not saying twisting the gospel, but I'm saying as far as it depends on me, things that I can do walking with Jesus, I want to reach my neighbor with the gospel and to love them in this. This is why the disciples and so many, even today, they die for the gospel. When we see the reports coming out of Afghanistan, the underground church is under persecution and so many of them have already been killed in the name of Jesus. And we hear reports coming out where they willingly gave their lives. China tried to suppress the gospel. And when they lifted it, thinking it was dead, they saw that the church, had, the body of Christ had not shrunk, but it had actually grown and it was massive. This is why we die for the gospel. Because we are souls that were made to live forever. Souls that were made forever. As the worship team comes this morning, you know, I recently had a conversation. Recently had a conversation with a friend of mine. And the first time that I met this friend, uh, he was an atheist. <laughs> and he knew I was a pastor known him for 20 years now. He knew I was a pastor. He said, I'm an atheist. And I said, I love atheists. (laughs) And I mean that. I really do. I really do. And every time that we get together, he would try to corner me. (laughs) And I would just sit there and 
if I had an opportunity, I'd say, you know, Jesus, help me, help me, help me, help me. Let me speak your word and truth. And then about 10 years in, um, he had children. He was like, you know what? When I look at my children, I know there has to be a God. He's like, I'm not a Christian and all that wacky stuff yet, but I know there's a God. I'm like, that's step one. <laughs> God has you on a path. And I recently had a conversation with them, and we're talking about all this stuff, and we're talking about, um, about heaven. And he was asking me about the afterlife. And, and I'm like, you know, I know that you say that you believe in God, but what do you believe in the afterlife? I said, I'm, you know, doing the sermon. He said, oh, I, I believe that this is all, all that there is. That when I die, it's just, it's gone, you know, and, and uh, that's it. I said, have you studied that? Have you read that? Have you researched that? Have you really devote yourself to that? And I began to kind of share some things with him. I said, because, I said, I said, God made you. I said, you believe in God? God made you as a soul in his image, every one of us. You're distracted by a lot of this other stuff, but let's, let's come back. You know, don't look at the fringe, right? That's not who God is. Look at who God is. Look to the core here. And I began to talk about God's will and God's intent, what that means, how he made us. And at first he hit, hit back pretty hard, you know, but he was paying for dinner, so that was okay. <laughs> and as we, as we just talked, and, I, and again, just, just sharing, Jesus opened a door for me. that I've been praying ever since I knew him. At least 20 years. At least 20 years. Love him. Very intelligent guy. And at the end of that, he said, you know, I said, Dwayne, if everything that you're telling me is true, he said, then I am really messed up. He said, I'm, it's over. He said, I'm not saying I believe in it. He said, but if this is true, and I looked at him, I said, you know what, here's the truth though. I said that, yeah, without Jesus, I said, I'm messed up. I'm hopeless. I said, but God is just, but God is God of mercy. And it's the moment that you ask forgiveness, he forgives you. He forgives you and it's wiped away because he's God. He's merciful God, he'll receive you right now, right now. And we walked away. We moved on to some other things. And then later that night, we came back. Because we ate again, and we ate a rack of ribs. <laughs> and when we finished the rack, he said, you know what? If everything you said is true, I'm... I said again, God is a merciful God. <laughs> there's, yes, there's, he's a just God. But what seems as slow to you right now is him giving opportunity to do this for your life. Amen? This is the God that, that we serve. This is the God that we serve. He's a gracious God. Paul said in Romans 10, he said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that's a big one. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, meaning that he's Lord, he's in charge. It's not just saying, yeah, I believe there's a God, but no, he's Lord. He's Lord of my life. He's, he's in charge. He is the King of kings. He is Lord. If we confess, yes, you are Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Paul said, you'll be saved. 
That's it, that confession. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you are Lord. You raise from the dead. I give my life to you. That's it. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're hearing all this, you're like, man, I want the mercy of God in my life. Can we just bow our head before we move on here this morning? And that, just to give privacy, maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, that's me. I'd like to surrender my life to God. Would you just, just to me, and I'd love to pray with you, just, just lift your hand and say, yes, I want to surrender my life to Christ. Just slip your hand up. Anybody? Amen. Amen. And can we say this, this together to Jesus? Would, you, would everyone say that with me? Say it together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Lord of lords. Forgive me of my sin. Enter my life. I surrender to you all the days of my life. I now live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us here today. Lord, may we be filled with boldness. Because the enemy would seek to silence us. And I'm not praying for a boldness that would just say anything, but Lord, may we be filled with the wisdom of God to be in the moment, to hear your voice, to be ready for the moments, to have a life that is prayed up and ready so when the opportunities come, when you send one of your children that is confused about you, running from you, Lord, may we be filled with your spirit. Is that your prayer today, that, that the Lord would use you in reaching someone who's lost today? Just pray that prayer. Lord, use me. Use me, Jesus. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your wisdom. Show me how to walk. Show me how to live my life in a way that would cause no one to stumble. I pray. Lord, I pray for those of us here today that, like me, they have family members who don't know you. If you have a family member that you'd like for us to pray for today that doesn't know Christ, would you just stand where you are and say, please pray for me and help me to reach my family? Come on. If you're praying for a family, just stand up and just pray. Lord, I pray for those standing today. Lord, as we pray for family members who don't know you, our heart breaks for them, Jesus. Lord, I pray for my friends today as they stand that they would be filled with the power of God, your power, your wisdom, your strength, your discernment, Holy Spirit insight to the, what's happening. So often we can see the symptoms, but you see the core. Lord, give us discernment to know. Show us how to live. Show us how to act. Show us how to speak. Not to manipulate, not to coerce, but to live the life of Christ in front of our friends and our family. So Lord, empower my friends here today as they stand to be living examples of your love, I pray. In Jesus' name. I pray for healing today. The perfecter, the finisher, the alpha, the omega, Everything. You are our Lord, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. Let's, this is our benediction before we leave today. Let's say this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.